Uh, good to be back at Sit Point. This is home for my wife and I. And uh, uh, just, uh, I know we haven't been around a lot lately, but know that this is still home. And over the next few weeks, we'll be gone a little bit more. But uh, we are just so thankful to God for this church. I pray for Pastor Joe and Janet and Sarah on vacation. I, if I remember correctly, Pastor Joe said it's been a while since he's been able to take two Sundays in a row. And I think it's important that he be able to get that kind of a break. But it also means that there's a team that puts everything together in his absence. And I watched it this morning behind the scenes the number of people that work together to make a service like this happen. So thank you to all of the team members who do that. And let's, uh, let's, like I say, pray for Pastor Joe and Janet and Sarah as they continue their vacation. Uh, on behalf of my wife and I, we do bring greetings. I'm not going to talk about missions today. I'm here to preach the word uh, in the days to come through newsletters and so on. I'm sure Pastor Joe will keep you informed of some of the things that are happening, some of them brand new, and uh, I'll just leave it there. It's a bit of a teaser uh, for the future. Been in a series on Old Testament prophets, so when Pastor Joe talked to me about coming, he asked me uh, if there would be a prophet that I would want to dwell on today, and I mentioned to him Ezekiel. He was quite happy to hear that. And so I'm going to endeavor to um, take it to another step where Pastor Joe has been taking us. I'm not just saying this, folk. We are blessed with a very gifted teacher in Pastor Joe. I, um, I tell him many Sundays that I learn something new every time I listen to his messages. Uh, he's got the teaching gift. I... I would leave the teaching gift predominantly to him, although others have said, oh, Don, you're too hard on yourself. You, you have a teaching ability, but I'm more of the preacher-type, expository preacher, I suppose, but I'm so thankful for the teaching that we receive Sunday after Sunday. It's in-depth. It's very, very significant. But I'm going to endeavor to kind of follow a pattern that I believe is being... Uh, dealt with over this summer, where we learn about an Old Testament prophet, but how does it relate to us today? So I will entitle this message, Recapture Our Hearts. Recapture Our Hearts. And we'll use the prophet Ezekiel. It's a rather long book. It's got uh, 48 chapters. So to, to, to say today, I'm going to take you all through through all 48 chapters, some of you would leave in about 10 minutes saying, we'll be here till supper. I'm not going to do that. I'm actually only going to take six verses out of 48 chapters. But to give us an idea of this prophet Ezekiel, he was known as a, a priest and a Jewish street preacher. What in earth is a street preacher? We don't hear that very often anymore. There would have been a day even in Canada, many, many years ago, that you could go to a, a corner and somebody would be standing on a box preaching the Word of God. That just doesn't seem to happen these days. And I'm not saying that's a negative. I think in today's society, we need to be careful. Let me give you an example. 
Many years ago, I was on the metro heading into the office at Evangel, and I, I saw this guy intensely uh, preaching at this passenger on the train, and I thought, well, I guess they know each other. He was just going at it. And it was one of those things where I thought, oh, I'm not sure that this is a good thing. So I'm not sure if the one he was preaching to was getting off at the next stop or just got off at the stop to get rid of the guy. But in my boldness, I went over to the gentleman and I said, did you know that man you were talking to? No, never met him in my life. And I'm not convinced that day that he was a good representative of the gospel because he had built no relationship. So you may agree or disagree with me, but maybe that's one of the reasons street preaching is not as common for us. Now, in Africa, a different story. My wife and I lived in Zambia for a number of years before moving to South Africa. And if I had to go anywhere near a major bus depot, many people traveled across Zambia by bus. If I had to go near the major bus stop uh, in Kitwe, Zambia, before a bus would leave, you would hear on the bus somebody standing at the front of a packed bus preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a common, everyday experience. We're not used to that here, but in places like Zambia, people, whether they uh, like what they're hearing or not, they're patiently sitting there waiting. You know, I will say this, though. There have been many major bus accidents in Zambia, uh, sometimes entire bus loads instantly killed. And I've often thought, maybe those bus preachers had actually spoken to an individual before an accident took place. We, we don't know. So we don't maybe understand street preachers, but for 22 years, Ezekiel the prophet and priest would go up and down the streets of Babylon and he would tell everyone about God's judgment, salvation. <clears throat> he would call people to a place of repentance and obedience. He did that for 22 years. If you look at the book of Ezekiel and break it down, and this is where we'll go through 48 chapters in about 30 seconds. Ezekiel's call and commission is found from chapter 1 to 3. The siege and destruction of Jerusalem are dealt with from chapter 4 to 24. And judgment of sin for surrounding nations was dealt with in chapters 25 to 32. And hope and future blessings for God's people are dealt with in chapters 33 to 48. But as you read through Ezekiel... You, you discover a lot about human will and obedience or disobedience and submission to those in authority over us. And I think we can all relate to this from experience with our own human wills, and each of us has unique natures. Some of my nature is different from your nature as human beings. That's the beauty of God. There's a, every fingerprint is different, and even human nature, how we respond to things in life is different for different people. But probably all of us 
with our human nature and human will, struggle with things like submission to authority. I wasn't going to say this, I won't give the details, but I, I had a conversation with a person of, of authority this morning and he uh, said that randomly I have to take a test. Well, my human will would say, I don't want to take the test. But my submission to authority says, I will take the test or suffer the consequences. Do you understand the, the analogy there? Human will and submission. By the way, don't worry about the test. Everything's fine. Okay, just my wife and I actually came from the United States this morning and I was randomly selected. You know what that means. Let's not go any further. So don't worry, okay? And I'm wearing a mask when I finish. We, uh, we may actually discover, this will sound like a strange analogy, but it's probably easier to train a dog than it is to submit our human wills. This picture is of a friend of mine named Annie. She's become a friend to me because I have a very dear friend who walks her as part of his business. He, he's semi-retired and just a few years ago he met an individual who said, I need someone to walk my dog and he decided to take it on. It's actually become uh, part of his daily life five days a week. He takes the dog out in the morning and at noon and when I've been visiting my friend we have gone together and Annie's become my friend. She is one beautiful dog. She's actually a Rhodesian Ridgeback and they are actually bred in southern Africa. But I've watched my friend now for the last two or three years train Annie to the point that she's not on a leash. We will cross a major road. She will sit by John until John says go. And when the traffic is cleared and John says go, she crosses the road ahead of him, sits and waits for him to come. And of course, he reaches into his little pouch and he gives her a reward for obedience. This dog Anybody who'd have my friend John as a dog trainer, he's worth millions. Amazing what he's done with this dog. I say that to you to say that probably Annie is more obedient than some humans. <laughs> Especially the children of Israel. In the days of Ezekiel, Israel was in a constant cycle of disobedience. And if you've read the Old Testament at all, you know what I'm referring to. This, this perpetual cycle of coming to God when they needed him, falling away from God once they got what they needed. That's why I bring us to six verses out of 48 chapters in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1 to 6. I'm going to pull some things out of these, these verses, so 
you'll see some things that are in bold. We'll, we'll deal with them. But listen closely to these six verses. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. So God is speaking to Ezekiel. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? God is having a conversation with Ezekiel and saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I should do with these people. Therefore, speak to them and tell them. Here's the role of the prophet. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. A key line. We'll we'll visit that in a few moments. I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with this great idolatry. I will do this, here it is, to recapture the hearts. Wow. To recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. To me, that word detestable practice lets us know what God feels about idolatry, putting other things ahead of him. It's a detestable practice. So there's two phrases I'd like us to concentrate on this morning. Number one, idols in their hearts. And number two, recapture the hearts. Now, as Pastor Joe so capably does, he, he, he gives us the context. And in Scripture, it's very important that everything that we deal with, we put it into the right context. So I'm taking you back now about 2,450 years to 571 B.C. to put these words that we've read into context. Because obviously the elders of Israel were worshiping idols in their hearts. But daringly came to God, God's prophets, for advice. Think about it. They worshipped idols in their hearts, but when they needed advice from God, they would go to the prophets. And on the outside, they appeared to worship God by regularly coming to the temple to sacrifice. But on the inside, They had set up idols in their hearts. So let's talk about that phrase, idols in their hearts, for a moment. For Hebrew writers, the heart was considered as the core of a person's intellect and spiritual function. That's the heart. Our intellect, uh, the core of a person's intellect and spiritual function. That's why Proverbs 4.23, for instance, says, Above all else, oh, I... I love these words. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do 
flows from it. I had a conversation with a man yesterday who talked about how he looks at the obituary every day. And he looks for those who died unexpectedly. And he's decided he's going to sell his business and semi-retire because he doesn't want to be one of those who dies unexpectedly and did not get to enjoy some of life. You know, you can, you can have everything. You can have your health. You, you, can, you can work for your retirement. You can, you can put money aside. You can, you can have the things of this world, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's amazing physically that like that, a heart attack can take you. You die unexpectedly. It's the same in our spiritual journey. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Think about that. Everything you do flows from it. The heart. Physically and spiritually. Oh, I love what the Life Application Bible says about this. I believe it'll come on the screen. Our heart dictates, our heart dictates to a great extent how we live because we always find time to do what we enjoy. Make sure your affections push you in the right direction. Put boundaries on your desires. Don't go after everything you see. Look straight ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on your goal. And don't get sidetracked on detours that lead to sin. That's a keeper. If time would allow to repeat it, but I, 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 I hope you've caught it. When the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel for advice... God condemned them for worshiping idols in their hearts. You see, in their minds, they thought that appearing before the prophet meant that they were still worshiping the true God. But in their hearts, they were worshiping the idols of Babylon. Israel would turn to God when they needed him. But their hearts were not loyal to him. There was a lack of sincerity in their hearts. So that was the context of 570 BC. What about the context of 2022 AD, 2450 years later? I don't know if it's the same for you, but often when I read through the Old Testament, I find myself getting frustrated because of this ongoing cycle of disobedience that we talked about a moment ago. This perpetual cycle of coming to God and turning their hearts away from God. And sometimes I, I find myself getting frustrated, find it easy to criticize Israel for their disobedience, for their rebellion, for their selfishness, for their idolatry. But before we criticize them, Maybe we need to examine our own hearts. Now, I want you to know today, this is not a message to beat us up. Because when you bring it into today's context, it would be easy to start to 
identify the idols in our hearts and make us all sit on the edge of our seats, what's coming next? That's, that's not the intention of this message. I, I would just say before we criticize others, not just the Israelites, but others in our world today, we need to examine our own hearts. Do we have idols in our hearts? Do I have an idol in my heart? Do you have an idol or idols in your heart? I was thinking about it. And you know, when you make a little list of things, it's not good because people say, oh, he didn't mention my idol. Thank God I'm off the hook today. So I'm looking at things maybe from a little different perspective that we may deal with that we don't even see necessarily as idols. But what about the pursuit of reputation? There's a lot of people today that are pursuing their reputation at work. They they want to be well-respected. They, they want a place of position. And I was thinking this morning, uh, early, that what, what word could describe that? And this might sound strong, but I, I think of the word corruption. How many people pursue reputation and become corrupted to try and get that reputation, to try to get that position? Is that an idol in the heart? Maybe it's the desire to be accepted. You mean, that could be an idol in my heart? Well, there's a lot of people that compromise in order to be accepted. They compromise their values. They compromise their beliefs because they have a desire to be accepted. That could be an idol. Well, this is a typical one, the lure of wealth. I was uh, recording our first podcast. That's actually a little bit of a giveaway of something that's coming in the near future, our Quest Leadership Podcast. And I, I used a quote about if you lose your money, you lose nothing. And the quote goes on. I'll, I'll leave the quote for the podcast, the full quote. But that one is tough for any one of us. None of us wants to lose our money. But it's when we um, are lured by it or lured by wealth that it actually becomes the idol of selfishness. And one other one, there could be so many, the attraction to sexual pleasure, which if it's not dealt with, becomes an idol of addiction. Oh, we could just go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, but let me ask a few questions. They'll come on the screen that might help us in knowing if there's an idol in our heart. So looking at uh, reputation and acceptance and wealth and sensual pleasure, is the intensity of these things greater than your commitment to serving God? <coughs> is the intensity of these things greater than your commitment to serving God? Have you become indifferent in your spiritual walk? Is it a little colder than it used to be? Is it not as meaningful as it used to be? Is it a little less passionate than it used to be? Have you become unconcerned about the things of God? It, at times, if we're not careful, especially in the day we're in, the last two or three years, God can feel distant. Or we are more concerned about the worries of life than we are about the things of God. Have you lost your passionate 
pursuit of God? Have you lost your sympathy toward others by becoming inwardly focused? Just a few questions that may help us to evaluate whether or not there may be idols in our hearts. Psalm 26, verse 2 to 3, God invites us, or we invite God, I should say, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. Are you willing to ask God to test you this morning, or is that a scary thought for you? Because you're not sure what God might find. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, and I will walk continually in your truth. What a place to live. The second and final thing is recapture the hearts. Let me come back to verse 4 to 6 of our initial text this morning in Ezekiel 14. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart, ah, ladies, I'm going to say her heart too. I think we need to make sure that word his is generic. It's for all of us. When any Israelite sets up idols in his or her heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his or her face and then goes to a prophet. I come back to this phrase that we mentioned earlier. I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And that really hit me as I was reading this text. I, the Lord, will answer him myself. In other words, when God says, I will answer, it's because he really wants us to hear something and he sees it as very, very, very important. I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. (laughs) And here it is. I will do this not to judge, not to be difficult, not to put uh, screws on you. No, I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel. That's God's desire. He desires our heart. And even if we strayed away and there's some idols in our lives. God says, I want to speak to you myself because it's my passionate desire that I could recapture your heart. The heart of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all of your detestable practices. Now, I've preached about Paul before. I'm going to repeat just a little bit of what I've shared in the past, but I was thinking of this recapturing of the heart. How does that happen? And I think one of the best ways to allow God to recapture our hearts is to acknowledge our weaknesses and shortcomings. Uh, One of the reasons we don't deal with the idols in our hearts is because we fail to acknowledge them We fail to acknowledge that it's a weakness in our life that has to be dealt with. But the Apostle Paul, he had a chronic and debilitating weakness that we all know 
was called a thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul, before he became a Christian, was a major persecutor of the church. Uh, he had some idols in his own heart. But even after coming this dramatic relationship that he had with Jesus Christ, this thorn in the flesh was a reminder that, as a human, he was still weak. No matter his education, no matter uh, who he was, how powerful he had been, he was still human. And the thorn in the flesh was a reminder of, of his humanity. See, when we go through things in life, it's a reminder that we are human. I said, when you lose money, you lose nothing. The next phrase is, when you lose your health, you lose something. And there's a lot of us in this room who've learned when you're facing health issues, no amount of money can change it. Paul, as successfully as he was as a believer in Christ and used to see the church explode he dealt with a weakness in his life, some sort of a physical ailment that the Bible doesn't make clear. But he didn't cover it up. He acknowledged it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he boasted about it. And, and uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Wow. He, he had a respect for his weakness. He was willing to boast about it because he knew what his weakness added to his life. Uh, I more gladly... Uh, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't like to admit about idols in our hearts, we see it as a weakness. And as a result, we don't deal with it, and then we lose the opportunity to experience the strength of Christ's resurrection power. So when you look at Paul's life, Paul's thorn in the flesh helped him to understand God's grace in a greater way. It strengthened his own character. He became a better man for it. It allowed him to exercise even greater humility. He was humbled this persecutor of the church was humbled, but he understood humility in an even greater way because he acknowledged the weaknesses of his life. And it gave him an even greater empathy towards other people. So I'd say to us this morning that acknowledgement of our weaknesses is Christ's opportunity to perfect his power in our lives, his resurrected power in our lives. Our human weakness allows his perfected power to be at work within us and it will help us to cope with the idols that we have set up in our hearts. And I, I, I fear sometimes that we say, well, this isn't for me. I have no idols. 
In a moment, I'm going to ask us to let the Holy Spirit just speak to us for a moment to say, is there anything that we've set up that's become more important than our passionate pursuit of God? His perfected power at work within us is what will help us to cope with the idols that we have set up in our hearts. Weakness does not mean a lack of spirituality or faith. It just means we're human. The Hebrew writers of the Old Testament, they always connected the heart and the mind. And scripture references both the heart and mind as mutually important. And the heart controls our desires, our emotions, our hopes, and our dreams. Many of us have dreams in our heart. And I hope even the older you get, you still have some hopes and dreams in your heart. And, and that's where it all begins, in our hearts. But the mind controls the intellect, reason, and thoughts, and helps us to take those dreams and think about them, and from an intellectual perspective say, is it just a dream, or if that dream is a hope in my heart, through my mind, how do I, with God's help, see that dream become a reality? That's why Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. We, as believers in Christ, have the resurrection power of Jesus within us. And if you're in this room this morning and you have not come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me tell you that if you will give your heart over to Jesus Ask forgiveness of sin in your life. You can experience his resurrected power in your life to take you to the next steps that God has for you. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When he died, rose from the dead, and interceded to heaven, he is now on the right hand of God. Uh, sorry, ascended to heaven. He's now on the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, even our weaknesses. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's where the idols begin to develop, when our minds shift from heaven to earth. And the dreams that we're thinking of in our heart and hoping for that we then with our mind begin to plan out if they, those dreams do not include God, then we move our minds from heavenly things to earthly things and the pursuit of God is in the distance and we only come to God when we need him. Think of how different life is when we come to God and we bring our hopes and dreams to him and say, God, use my mind to make these dreams become a reality. But you must be the foundation of my dreams. So let the availability of God's resurrection power set your heart and mind on Christ who sits at the right hand of God interceding on your behalf. And you know what? Have honest conversations with God. I really think God likes it when we're honest with him. I've probably told you before, over the last three years and my health journey, I've had some pretty honest conversations with God, including one this past week. My wife had run on ahead. She's still running. I'm, I'm walking. 
And she went on ahead, and I just had a moment with God. It was an honest conversation. God likes it. I'm convinced. He doesn't mind it. He's not turned off by it. He's not going to judge us. He wants to know our hearts. That's why we say, God, test my heart. Test me. Know me. Here's how I'm feeling. Help me to walk through this. Because I'm convinced if God can be merciful with Israel throughout their perpetual cycle of disobedience, then he can be merciful with your honest conversations about how you feel. So set your hearts and things above. Set your minds and things above. Fix your mind heavenward so that you will not be as distracted by the things that are happening on this earth. Can I ask you, as I'm asking myself this morning, let's allow God to recapture our hearts. Let's invite him to reignite a godly passion within us. There's no other place to live that's more fulfilling than to know the godly passion of God that gets reignited in our hearts. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. As we ask God to recapture our hearts, I'm going to ask you to just bow your head now. Nobody needs to feel uncomfortable with us. I, I, by bowing our heads, to me, it's we're actually bowing our hearts. But just in the quietness of this room, could I ask us to bow our heads for a moment? And by doing that, we're bowing our hearts before God and saying, Holy Spirit, you who Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, sent back to this earth to be with us. Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, our teacher, our guide. Holy Spirit, would you examine my heart? God, would you test my heart? Is there anything that has caused me to not be as passionate for you, God, as I used to be? And would you, in the silence of this room, take just a moment to have a silent prayer with God and say, Holy Spirit, examine me. Pinpoint the things that I need to deal with in my heart that may be causing me to lose my passion for you. Take a moment. not need to be an uncomfortable moment. Stillness sometimes is so uncomfortable. But it's when God speaks so deep. Don't be afraid of the stillness this morning.
we learn to exalt God above all other things, any idol that we've set up in our hearts begins to disappear because we've discovered <laughs> that there is nothing greater than exalting the name of the Lord. We exalt Thee. Come on, do it. Oh, we exalt Thee. Why don't you lift your hands? scripture that deals with our hearts and our minds. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, that's requests, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. I love this. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts. That's it. It will guard your hearts and your minds. Christ Jesus. I found myself lately saying to people as I'm in conversation, conversation with them, the peace of God has become tangible in my life. So tangible that I could literally cut it with a knife and a fork. I can't explain it. It's beyond human understanding to even explain it. But the peace of God has become so tangible. I could almost cut it with a knife and fork. And on my heart this morning, I couldn't shake it. That's why I asked the worship team if I could just give them a little break at the end of the service and have a moment with you. I know we're in a theater and it's difficult to do. We're not going to have an altar response, but I have a feeling there's some people in this room who are going through some things in your life. The journey is different maybe from my journey. But it's no less an easy journey for you. 
If you're going through something in your life this morning, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And, and I know this is foreign for some, perhaps. We're not going to ask you to come here, but there's aisles. And if you're facing a, a journey in your life where you need God's peace, you need God's presence, and we're not now coming to God just because we need Him. We've dealt with the idols in our hearts. We're saying, God, I'm coming to you because I really do need you. Why don't you just step out from your seat onto the step that's closest to you as a step of faith and just say, God, I'm, I'm bringing this need to you. I need your peace. I need your presence. I want to be captivated by your presence in my life. And let's sing that again and just step out to the closest step where you're seated in faith. Say, God, I'm going to exalt you and I'm going to believe for my situation and I'm going to believe for your power to be at work in my situation. And we exalt you. Come on, church. Yes, we exalt people as are in this room there's as many needs but you're not caught by surprise with any of them so in our journey we pray oh God that you would be our peace that peace that is beyond all human understanding may the peace of God Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And when thoughts come into our lives that are not thoughts from you, guard our hearts. Guard our minds. And let your peace be so tangible we could cut it with a knife and fork. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Hey, I have the privilege today of saying, have a good week. And we'll see you next week. Well, I'm in another church next week, but you see each other next week. Would you do that? Let's not forsake the assemblies of God ourselves to get an online. God bless you today. You're welcome to go home. Wendling gave me the opportunity to say goodbye, everybody. See you next week.